Listen for this word from the Lord from the book of Acts. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, this morning, we have another story from the early days of this fledgling movement of followers of Jesus believing He is the Christ or the Messiah. Today, though, this is a horrendous story of violence. A man is stoned to death. His name is Stephen. He is one of the early disciples he's part of this early movement of those who believe jesus is the christ in fact he'd been selected to be a deacon or one who served he was an outstanding member of the christian community in other words willing to serve others but through this story today he becomes the first martyr that is the first one killed because he does believe that Jesus is Lord and he's proclaiming it in public and with those who disagree. It helps perhaps because we just read a small piece of his larger story to remember or to understand that if you flip back to the beginning of chapter 6 you find the story where he's being elevated as a leader in the infant christian community but then right after that some religious leaders come and grab him and pull him in they want to have this debate with him about who jesus really is and there's this very long speech that stephen gives through chapter 6 and the first part of chapter 7, before where we began to read, then we read just the very last part of that for our lectionary reading. In his speech, he says to these Jewish leaders that God has been at work in humanity for a long time, and he goes through their history and talks about Abraham and Moses and King David and how God is at work in all that. But then he also talks about the prophets and how God is at work in them. And he's trying to persuade them that now God has fulfilled this promise of sending us a Messiah, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And the very end of that, Stephen says some harsh things to his opponents. I want to read just a little bit of that to you, beginning in verse 51, before where we read. This is Stephen speaking to these religious leaders. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. And then Acts tells us 
For some reason, these people are enraged. They are not appreciating all that Stephen is saying and the way that he's attacking them. And you can see he is full of passion as well. He is becoming heated as well. So where we began to read, we find two parties involved in an escalating argument about their religious future. But the time we get to verse 55, where we began to read, the author of Acts, Luke, is telling us that Stephen is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And by that, he gazes into heaven. He believes he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he's proclaiming that to these other leaders. They understand that to be blasphemy. They have had enough. They're not going to listen any longer. Verse 57 tells us they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. I want us to stop there for a moment and think about this scene of what's happening to these people in the early church, all people of faith, all believing God is at work in their lives, and yet they have come at each other in this story in such vicious ways. I want us to ponder, I put a question in your outline, is this not often the way disagreements turn into more than speech and end up in physical violence? We see this in all kinds of situations where people cover their ears, as the text says, or quit listening and then work each other up and focus on the opponent and develop this sense of hate or passion against the other and then often attack them and it degenerates into physical violence. Have you seen the TV documentary called Why We Hate? It came out several months ago. I've just been watching uh, a little bit of it during this COVID-19 where I had a little more time at home. It has six different episodes. Episode two is called Tribalism. They're working on why humans hate and why it ends up in violence so much in that second segment where they're talking about tribal or group behavior. They're looking at and exploring the observation that humans group together and develop a hate of another group that can fairly easily end up in violence they say you can find examples of course throughout history you can find the hate developing around issues of different ethnicities or different race different regions they even do a whole section on how this has happened in terms of rival sports teams and often after a game or in a stadium fights will break out people will get hurt why is that? That's the question they're asking. So they begin to talk to evolutionary biologists and anthropologists. They begin to look at the roots of this. And of course, what they say is because this idea of the survival of the fittest, that those groups who could band together best to either repel violence or perpetuate violence are the ones that survive. That makes all of us genetically survivors descendants of those that survived we're all genetically rooted in those groups of people that did best in terms of violence 
At that point, I was getting a little depressed watching the show, but they do not stop there. The filmmakers go further and say, of course, we are also capable of a great coordination of effort, or you could say cooperation for the good. They said those same groups that band together for violence can band together for good, and they cooperate and build communities and gather food, and they survive at better rates because of that as well. Theologically, we would say that means humanity, the human condition, leaves us in a position where we can choose good or evil. We are capable of great violence. We're also capable of doing great good through cooperation and working together with others. Unfortunately, I think during this COVID-19 outbreak, we have seen both kinds of behavior in stark contrast to one another. We have some people Doctors and nurses, healthcare workers, healthcare assistants, technologists, people even coming out of retirement or graduating early to be on the front lines of those who are risking their own life to fighting for the life of another, to be a part of caring for those who are most affected by this virus, those people who are acutely ill or are dying. It's amazing to me Day after day, so many of these workers are putting themselves in harm's way. They're risking their own life, hoping to save the life of another. There are parts of teams that are working together. They're a great example, I think, of what it means to gather together to do great good as humans. But unfortunately, we've seen the other kind, the other kind of behavior that is talked about in this documentary of when people band together to threaten or to hurt others. You've probably seen the news stories of people in bulletproof vest or military garb carrying weapons of destruction, going into houses of legislature or other places to try and to threaten and intimidate those who are given the responsibility to make decisions for the common good. They're protesting. They say that their constitutional rights have been violated because they've been asked to wear a mask. Well, when I was first writing the sermon, I was just writing about a behavior that was threatening. Unfortunately, after I had written that part, it went from threat to death. You perhaps saw the story of the security guard doing his job, reminding people coming into a family dollar store that they were required to wear a mask so they not expose anybody else potentially to the virus. One patron got upset. They left. Interestingly enough, gathered some others with them and came back and shot the security guard in the back of the head and killed him. Certainly humans can do great violence, can do great harm to one another. We are capable, I think all of us are capable of that. Of course, what the documentary was pointing out, that this human capacity to hurt another tends to escalate when we gather in groups and we sort of fuel one another's hate until we work ourselves into a frenzy 
where we are ready and willing and even sometimes eager to hurt someone else, maybe even to kill them. It's a mob mentality. It's an in-group, out-group kind of behavior. Oh, it's rooted in our genetics. But it's not predetermined that we make those kinds of choices. We do have a choice. And our biblical text today gives us a whole different view of what humans can do. As we read through this text, we see what humans can do when inspired by the Holy Spirit of love and forgiveness. Let me read that part of the story to you. We finished in verse 57 a moment ago. We pick it up in verse 58. Then they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So he's focused on Jesus. It's a prayer for himself, but he does not stop there. The very next verse, verse 60, tells us, Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He is praying for his persecutors. He is praying for those who are attacking him. And eventually the ones that will kill him. It seems like a rapid change of attitude from a few verses earlier where he's attacking them and calling them betrayers and murderers. And now he's praying for them, praying for their souls, praying for their forgiveness. It's again important, I think, to remember the larger context that he's been pulled into this debate and there's been a long time of them discussing and debating before they get to this point of frenzy where he's calling them names and they cover their ears, join together as a group, and attack him and, in fact, kill him. When we look at the larger context, I was thinking of the sequence of events. I put it in your outline. I think if we were going to summarize it in three words, we could say arrest, prayer, forgiveness. Arrest, prayer, forgiveness. And as I was thinking through that, it reminded me of what Stephen Covey has written. Other psychologists have talked about this, but he writes about it in that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The very first habit is called be proactive. And what he means by that is take responsibility for your own behavior. He said so often human behavior is stimulus response that we just react. And he says when we do that, it's not always our best response. He says there's another way. I put this in your outline as well. He says there's the stimulus. Then we have an opportunity to pause and make a choice. And then our response. He says the middle word choice makes all the difference in the world that if we take a moment to pause it gives us greater clarity on the situation and on who we are and who we want to be and it helps us act from higher values it gives us an opportunity to choose a better path than what we might do just initially if we respond to a negative stimulus 
So he's thinking stimulus, choice, response. For the sequence we're talking about from the book of Acts today, for Stephen, he's arrested. There's this long argument, but then he prays. And he prays for forgiveness. I think the prayer is the key that gives him the ability to be able to pray for the forgiveness of those who are attacking him. For Christians, it is so very important to stay in touch with God, to draw on the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Throughout this passage, Stephen is looking to Jesus. The passage itself tells us that he sees Jesus and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I think makes the Christian difference is that life of prayer, that life of communion with God. We believe and proclaim that that's what transforms us, that God is at work within us to make us ever more into the image of Christ. We see Stephen's story. If we look back at Jesus' story, there are quite a few parallels in terms of how they face their death and the prayer they offer on behalf of those who are perpetuating the violence. Living in prayer provides that middle word, that time of reflection, that time of choice. As one of our great hymn writers says, as a prayer to God, remold us, remold us, make us like the divine. The good news that I don't want us to miss in the midst of this horrible story is that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us today wherever we find ourselves even if we believe our circumstances are miserable even if we truly are in terrible maybe even deadly circumstances this story reminds us that god's power and love and guidance and mercy is available to each and every one of us even now it's amazing really extraordinary good news that god can change us even when we have violent feelings or tendencies, even when we want to strike out at somebody emotionally or verbally, even physically, that God can change us, that we have a choice. And our lives of prayer or our lives of communion with God make that ever more available to us. So I'll put a question in your outline. Will you find time to focus on prayer and time looking to God even in your dark moments. I know for so many, these days of sheltering become days of isolation and can become terrible experiences for some. Our text reminds us God is still with us. God's power and guidance and love and healing is still available to you whatever circumstance you might find yourself in will you allow god to work in you what this story from acts seventh chapter reminds us of is that through prayer and the power of the holy spirit stephen was changed from an attacker spewing hate to one praying for his opponents that they might be forgiven 
Stephen becomes one who is bearing Christ's love even to those who hate him, who in fact do kill him. Well, it is Mother's Day. And I was thinking about that and the history of Mother's Day and if there's any way that these two tie together. I didn't see it at first, but I think there is a connection. As I began to read again about the history of Mother's Day, we go back into the 1800s in the United States. A woman named Julia Ward Howe began to organize mothers to rally for peace. She was responding in large part to different wars and conflicts around the globe, in particular after our civil war where there was so much violence and carnage. She had rallied mothers to come together to promote peace, more peaceful conflict resolution, more focus on how do we deal with one another when we have differences, more ideas for peace and harmony and how we can live together. Well, she led several peace protests or peace rallies, often mothers' rallies for peace, they were called. Well, that idea kind of caught on, and another woman, Anna Jarvis, who was a Methodist, began to petition the president to select a day. She was suggesting the second Sunday of May. She went on a speaking and letter writing campaign promoting that we have a national celebration of mothers a mother's day she wanted to honor her own mother finally in 1914 president woodrow wilson agreed that she was right and designated this second sunday of may as a time to honor and celebrate mothers interestingly enough anna jarvis the woman who wrote and convinced the president to do that her own mother had been part of those peace rallies that Julia Ward Howe had organized decades before. So I think Mother's Day, as a theme of peace and harmony and promoting love for one another, ties very closely to this passage, which is also, in a way, saying there is a better way. There is a peaceful way. We can live in love together. We can live in harmony together luke who's writing acts is saying that the power of god can do this in us that god can bring us to a place of peace and love and harmony despite external circumstances that god can change us from the inside out and that once that happens then we can become people like stephen who bear christ's love to others might that be true for all of us, even in these difficult days of COVID-19? Amen. And thanks be to God.